The FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, with all your um, with all your experience of talking on stage, have you been invited to the COP twenty six? No. However, no? oh, I would like to go. I'd like to stand next to Greta Thunberg and kick them all in the. Look, we've had we've had to engage the bleep machine already. I'm a I'm a Greta Thunberg fan, as you well know. Yeah. But I am this time. I'm thinking. I, I, I saw the video of her the other day. This is going back about a week now, isn't it? Of course, but but um, where where she was outside the front, sort of shouting, you know, that their leaders are not going to do anything. It's all over. It's, it's pointless. We're the only ones that can do anything. And I was thinking, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I think at this point we need to try and help each other rather than shout each uh, at each other. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's you true. know, when she stands cheek by jowl. Um, with uh, David Attenborough, of course, they, they they share a common purpose, common goal. But David Attenborough, of course, is I mean, he's been invited, sure, but but David Attenborough is at COP, and he will listen and he will talk and he will. There'll, there'll be a sort of very guided, assured way that he uh, that he tries to uh, to talk and get his point across. And I'm, I'm just wondering whether we're going too far down the shouty road now. Yeah, I get that point, and actually, I, I'm more of a fan of her principles in terms of that stuff. I mean, she she wouldn't. Um, she defended the uh, the people who are lying on the streets in motorways and all that kind of stuff, didn't she? I think, or, yeah. or not necessarily defended, but wouldn't say it was a bad thing. No. And you know, everybody has their own opinions, don't they? So, I personally, I don't think lying on the motorways is is the right thing to do because everybody just sits there with their engines revving, waiting for you to move. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, somebody we can't just leave it up to the politicians, can we? Because they're all a bunch of, <laughs> and, you know. So, <laughs> some but people, some people, other people, real people have to do stuff. Well, I, I, you know, I have to place some faith in the politicians because they, of course, do wield some some uh, incredible power. And so at some stage, we've got to have some faith, haven't we, Kev? No, my faith in politics went a long well, time no, we got. I mean, fa- faith is... Um, I, I'm not, not suggesting we're blind... F- what's that amazing... What's that amazing phrase out of Miracle on 34th Street? So it is all a bit Hollywood. If um, if you ah yes, if you I do have more trust in Father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't believe, if you can't, well, if you can't, oh, that's right. If you can't accept anything on faith, then you're doomed for a life dominated by doubt. I love that expression. That that and but but it does play into re- the real world as well because at some stage you've got to have faith in people that they've woken up and think, hmm, it probably is time to do something now. Well, what was it? Didn't um, they use 36 aeroplanes, 24 helicopters? Biden's um, motorcade was 18 cars. You know, it's not really, there's not a lot of faith there, is there? Come on, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, I think Get I should. Get on the <laughs> train. Like, the Queen gets on the train. Oh, there's the Queen you know? does use the What's train. What's wrong with that? How did Greta Thunberg come? Did she swim? Oh, she the came on the train. Cast. She came on a train. Did she? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, um, and, and actually she does, um, her morals are fairly, um, no, are, are absolutely strict, aren't they? I know we spoke across the jingle there, never mind. Uh, are absolutely strict, aren't they, in, in terms of um, when she goes somewhere, she she goes by boat, and if she can, under power of sail. Isn't that right? I saw something where she was travelling back from America in November, which is the worst time of the world to go, uh, and, and, uh, of the year to go across the Atlantic, isn't it? I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if she does that. And, yeah. and you know, you can't all do that. You know, the world can't run on steam alone. But, but yeah, right. well, taken. you're not going to the cop. There's, there's no there's the no Mullins speech at the cop. No. I'm going to the Millennium Stadium instead. Oh, oh rugby. 
Yeah. Now, will rugby have gone by the time this show goes out? Will you be a happy Mullins or an unhappy Mullins? Uh, no, because it's this coming Saturday. Well, that's right. But if it's this coming Saturday, it's the Saturday before. No, I'm saying that as if we're speaking next month. Oh, right. Oh, we've actually... <laughs> usually we're in the wrong t- time <laughs> paradigm. But, oh, who... who? Uh, I was going to say, who are we playing? But I'm, I'm not Welsh, but I'm supporting you here. Who are uh, we Wales, playing? Wales, Australia. Ah, yeah. oh, well, there we go. So, welcome to the, the cast, you and your questions from our electronic mailbag, and of course also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're very welcome to become a part of. If you want to send a mail through as well, uh, then you can send it to click at fujicast.co.uk. I haven't said this for a couple of weeks, but if you're if you're not a Fujifilm shooter, don't worry, it's a big community. Whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. Kev's Book of the Week is coming up. What have you selected this week, Kev? Oh, i got a brilliant book this week. I have got Jim Marshall, uh, Show Me the Picture. Show me the money. Show me the picture. Show me the picture, yeah. You know Jim Marshall, right? Um, Music photographer. Oh, yeah. I uh, know. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> He's the one who took yeah. that iconic staged picture yeah. of Johnny Cash. That's with right. The, well, the one with the finger up. That's We've talked yeah. about that shot before, haven't we? Yeah. Wasn't there something yeah. about that that picture that wasn't quite real? Or? Yeah. Yeah, most people think it was taken during the concert. Yeah. And it was a, you know, it was a capture, but it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't, was no. it was taken during the rehearsal and, yeah. and 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 Jim Marshall had asked him to, you know, what do you think about me or something? I can't remember the story behind it. But anyway, it was a stage picture. Yeah. But anyway, but nevertheless, yes, it's a wonderful book and I love his work. I mean, that's precious to you in all ways, isn't it, for the country music? Yeah. How is the country music show going, by the way? <laughs> You know, I, I, uh, last week I wasn't here. I was doing a workshop. I'm right. speaking again as if we're on and talking next Monday next. So I know. Um, somebody would have stood stood in stepped in for me. But yes, uh, still good, good fun. Yeah, loving it. Very much enjoying it. I'm mm. um, going to get myself a country hat and some Stetsons. <laughs> I think. Well, nobody can see it, Kev. It's on the radio. It doesn't matter. I, I know, but it'll make me feel better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'd be like the uh, the officer in Stranger Things. <laughs> who never leaves his hat behind. Even when he's being half-eaten by aliens, he grabs for his hat. The power of a Stetson. Uh, and our guest this week is Darren Goldstein, who you spoke to. Yeah, who's a uh, very, very well-established stills, uh, film, units, TV, music photographer Yeah, with from a, Canada. With a list of, so that, I mean, it's like a, a, a who's who, the list mm. of people he's shot, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, hmm. Right, Questions. Let's let's pile into your questions. Is it yours, or do you want to go first, or is it me? You go first because I'm I'm still editing a wedding right now, and I totally <laughs> forgot to bring up Facebook. Oh no! <laughs> nice that you're with us, Kev. Right, I can multitask. Uh, yeah, well, good for you, Quinn White, um, who is an assistant professor. Oh, stand by, Kev. This is going to be a CQ, a clever question. Um, hi, Kev. Hi, Neil. Oh, no, hi, Kevin. A professor wouldn't say Kev. Um, I can't tell you how helpful and encouraging the show has been. Yada, yada. But seriously, I'm grateful to have found it. Uh, I'm writing with a technical question. Maybe it's too soon to be able to answer it. But either way, I am confused. You can't be confused. You're an assistant professor in the philosophy department of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. How can you possibly be confused? I be got, cold there. I, uh, pardon? <laughs> it's going to be cold there. It will be, yeah. Oh, yes. Um... I gather that the new primes, the 18, the 23, the 33, the rumoured 56, are all designed to be future-proofed for the new higher-res sensor announced at the summit. So this was this was about a month ago. So uh, the 56 is not rumoured anymore, is it? 
Uh, I don't think they announced a new sensor and or a new 56, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think they implied that new things might come, but I might be wrong. I didn't. I didn't watch the whole thing, so. But mm. yes, I would very much doubt that there, there were, you know, we're going to be st- sticking to 26 megapixels in well, the next range of sensors. But who knows? So, but I haven't been able to figure out what the deal is with the zooms. Is the 70 to 300 going to be better than the 55 to 200? Was the 1024 already detailed enough, given that the new weather-resistant one has the the old optical formula? What about the red badge zooms? Not sure when, if ever, I want more megapixels than I already have, but it'd be great to better understand the long-term longevity of the lineup. And right now, it's all a bit confusing. Gratefully, Quinn. It might be confusing to you as well, Kev. Um, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I read that question when it came through, and I thought it was a really good question, of which I have no answer. I'm afraid, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm using the 18 mil now, the new 18 mil f1.4, which you love. And it, which you love. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it, and and it's noticeably sharper. I'd say the new 23 1.4 that I tested as well a couple of months back. That also is noticeably sharper, and I can only uh, attribute that to it being ready for larger sensors. So who knows what what that means for the zooms um uh, yeah basically i haven't got a scooby well it was nice to be sent my uh here it is my xt5 in a box just to try out for it <laughs> does it say secret <laughs> secret on the on the top uh oh god yes it does i'll edit that bit out <laughs> but yeah thank you quinn no we, we can't really answer that one but people with much longer foreheads than us uh, might well be able to in the in the in the near future uh, right, have you got your your Facebook working now, Kev? Oh yes, so I am still doing my I'm doing some black and white edits, but yes, oh, yeah. I do have Facebook open at the same time. Whose wedding are you editing, or shouldn't you say? <laughs> I'm editing. <laughs> don't say, uh, Kev. Don't, because if they uh, listen, they're going to they're going to think, oh, that's charming. All the attention <laughs> no. from from Kev during the show. He was editing. Oh, I'm doing oh. the I'm doing the finer details. I've pretty much finished it. Um, okay, so uh, questions from the Facebook group um, as tradition dictates i will start with the most recent one which was 21 hours ago with the word edited next to it i always like seeing that that makes me think oh <laughs> they yeah, changed their mind yeah. um anyway this is from gus uh, gus bately and he says qq would either of you consider using any of the viltrox lenses for professional work i have the 85 mil and think it's okay but not brilliant and i'm awaiting delivery of the 56 1.4 23 1.4 which i purchased on the back rave reviews right on the back of rave reviews right. i would imagine that's meant to say yeah Auntie Nancy says sensor regards. <laughs> I can't remember, Kev. Is Auntie Nancy the one that's still still with us? Auntie Nancy is definitely still with us. Two, yeah, two knots for yes. And oh, I think, I think, I think Gus is the, uh, if I remember rightly, bus I'm driver, getting this bus slightly wrong, is the bus driver yeah. down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got the Viltrox 85mm, and I, I do, I've recently started taking it to weddings, but I've no, I haven't used it, but I've taken it just in case I find myself in a, you know, you know, one of those kind of uh, reception rooms where it's packed and you can't move around yeah. during the speeches. Yeah. Um, but my 56 uh, 1.2 has been sufficient so far. Um, I don't think I'd have any problems using it. I have to say I, I quite like it I, I, it makes fine pictures mm. so yeah I would use it I don't have any of the others though you know I the reason I have the 85 mil is because there's no real I mean the 90 mil the feature film 90 mil is is similar focal length but you know it's 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 that little bit bigger and you know and the, the Viltrox one is is was cheaper so I, I don't use that range very often so that's why I've got that but yeah I mean I typically stay with the Fujifilm branded stuff but 
plenty of people are using the Viltrox ones and, and seem to be happy with them. At the other end of the scale, it's not Viltrox. I'm very happy with a Samyang 12mm. I think that's a fantastic lens. Yeah, but don't forget the Viltrox ones now are auto AF. Yes. The, Vil- the Samyang ones yeah. Samyang, were no, not at all. Manual focus, yeah. Everything is manual. Um, do you mm-hmm. feel, there's, is there a slight air of um, you're, you're not wearing the right team jersey when you're you know, sporting a Viltrox lens? No, not really. I don't. I don't really think that. But yeah, I, ultimately, you got to do what a what you can afford and b what works for you. Um, yeah. I, I gen, you know, I generally believe that third party lenses are not as good as the uh, official branded ones, and that's true for when I shot my Canon stuff as well. I, you know, I I didn't really use Sigma lenses. I had a couple. I think I had their macro lens or something but i'm generally of the opinion whether i'm right or wrong i've no idea but i'm generally of the opinion that the the, the home branded lenses are probably going to be better mm. um and so i kind of stick with that stick mentality with that, yeah. yeah sharon Powell gill has written in hi both i'm a long-time listener from the very very first show blimey that was uh, 1842 before they even <laughs> invented podcast do you remember the first show kevin uh, vaguely do you know yeah. sometime we should um we should rerun that shouldn't we I mean, I suppose you could just go back and find it, but we we could. We should start putting clips in. Put yeah. clips in because it was it was very different. It was <laughs> it was it was tidy, as you would say, in in Wales, but it was um, a bit disorganised in places. I think both of us were feeling our way in the dark a bit, weren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I, I do feel you should both be officially recognised for the daily lockdown shows, which cheered everybody up. The show is a true um, highlight for me with the, with the banter, the interviews, and I especially love the book review section. So there we go. This is all about books, Kev. I've just returned from the Bristol Photo Book Festival. I didn't realise there was a photo book festival in Bristol. There was. Oh. Um, yeah, and Martin Parr was uh, – the, the Martin Parr Foundation was part, was, was part sponsor of it. Yeah. Oh, I, I, that completely passed me by. I would love to have gone to that. Anyway, Sharon Powell picked up some photo books, two Martin Pars, a Matt Stewart, Josh Eggoose, a Paolo Frankie. Have, have you got any of um, Paolo's work or Josh's? I, I don't think I have any. I know of them, but I don't think I have any of their books. Yeah. Well, you won't now because Sharon Powell's bought everything up. <laughs> There's nothing left. I was Let like- me tell you, just call him Pal. Pal. That's Pal. That's what he likes. Does I know he? him. I know him quite well. Yeah, he's a really nice chap. All right, Pal. pal. Let's call him Pal. Rewind. Pal says, I was lucky enough to get some books signed by the photographers attending. My question is that in terms of future value, are books worth more if they contain only a signature rather than the additional inscription which mentions your name and perhaps adds a message to, uh, e.g., to Kev, have you been to Australia? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I would imagine straight away. I mean, he he does, Pal does say my own preference is that I'd rather have a book with a personalised message as I don't intend to cash in on any increase in the value of the book. But I do realise that there are other factors involved as well, such as first edition. Obviously, it must be worth more if it doesn't have, you know, to Kev, have you been to Australia, written in the front, mustn't it? Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, this reminds me of when I used to sell, um, I used to have a business uh, selling um, rugby memorabilia. Yeah. And uh, I used to go to book signings all the time and buy like five books. And I remember going to, uh, it was Barry John, and uh, he was he was actually, he was at London Welsh Rugby Club. And I just, he wasn't a book signing as such, but he was there. And so I, I, I brought five books I bought and I said to him, can you sign these for me, Barry? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we already knew, like we'd been chatting, I think there'd been a lunch or anything. So he knew my name was Kevin. And so he signed them all to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to Kevin, uh, lots of love, Barry John or whatever it was, yeah. or you know, <laughs> kick the ball on, whatever it was, I can't remember. 
And I was like, yeah, thanks, Barry. That's not really what I wanted. I wanted to sell them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so so that aside, I mean, that I'm not sure if, the, if it's a if it's a book that becomes super rare, right? And the um, photo books can become super rare, but usually over a very long period of time, they do fluctuate in value quite dramatically. However, based on just demand, supply and demand. Uh, you know, for example, if I go to uh, an Oxfam bookstore and I find a book and any book and I open it up and there's a there's an inscription at the front that says something like, uh, you know, to Johnny, good luck with your A-levels, uh, lots of Levante Maud, and it's in the Oxfam bookshop. That makes me so sad. Why? Because I think, what's happened to Johnny? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe and why Johnny didn't want know, the book anymore. He just thought, well, I know, I but that makes anymore. me even sadder that somebody's taken the time and effort to buy this thing, mm -hmm. uh, given it to little Johnny, and then you know, little Johnny's decided that. Well, maybe even Johnny's moved off this mortal coil. Uh, I, you know, I don't. It always makes me me make me, me, me but always makes me a bit sad. That. Well, have you checked to see if Johnny's okay? I did ring him. Yeah, he didn't answer. <laughs> no. What did Auntie yeah. Maud say? Well, I, I looked her up in the phone book and I, I rang four anti mords. None, none of them were the right them knew Johnny. Yeah, none of them knew Johnny. One of them said they used to know a Johnny, but, you know, they can't find him anymore. I was talking to somebody the other day, I was talking about um, uh, an old person that they know. This sounds terribly disrespectful. It's not supposed to be. Who just, uh, when somebody has passed in her life, in her little black telephone book, because old people still have telephone books that they write in, of course. Um, she just crosses it out like a, a, a real sort of a, a, a purposeful cross and writes dead. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it just tickled me that if you look through the book, there are now way more uh, people with dead written next to them than they, they, you'd otherwise hope to find. Uh, every time I speak to my mum, if my mum ever starts a conversation with, do you remember? Oh, no. I always know that whoever oh, she's about to say has died. No. Yeah. Anyway, this is a lovely conversation. We're supposed yeah, to be talking about second-hand books, but you are you are right. Um, that I, I yeah, that if you have a if you have a name in it that's not yours, I do like that story. By the way, of those rugby books, yeah. I suppose you had to find a lot of people, uh, rugby fans that were called Kevin. You'd be all right, wouldn't you? Uh, I also remember They'd a time I was in. Um, uh, what's it called? What's that prison in San Francisco? Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah. And uh, I was, they had this, uh, they had a guy there called uh, Leon Whitey uh, and he was an ex-con and he right. turned turned into, and he was a yeah. bad man, you know, like murderer and stuff. And he turned into a uh, an author. He wrote, he wrote his biography yeah. and he he happened to be there the day that I went to visit. Um, I love Alcatraz. I've been four times. And I mean, anyway, he was there this one time yeah. and uh, he was signing books. And, um, and he's, he, even though he was in his like, 70s i think he's passed away now um he's, he's got dead written next to his name in his book um he, he, i went up to him and i was like uh oh yeah can you can you sign this and he's like yeah sure what's your name and i said kevin um and he wrote frank in it <laughs> he just he obviously either totally misheard me or just like was thinking of the previous person or whatever and i opened it up and he said to to frank uh stay good Leon Whitey or whatever is it, Whitey Thompson. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to bother asking him to, <laughs> to do another one. <laughs> well, that's a similar to um, a story at Graceland. When I went to Graceland, um, there was a guy there who was signing stuff for people, Vesta Presley. And uh, I thought, well, I've never heard of Vesta Presley. And apparently he was the, he was the uncle. So we all queued up and got... And, uh, do you know, I've never checked whether Vesta Presley was actually Elvis Presley's uncle or whether he was just a janitor that day that thought, I'll sign stuff for people. Let me just look him up. Vesta, Vesta Presley. 
Vester Presley was born in Fulton, Mississippi. He's, oh, the brother of Elvis's father, Vernon Presley. Yeah. Vester was married to Gladys Presley's sister. There's a picture of his signature in a book. Yeah. And there's me getting something signed next to him. <laughs> <laughs> so isn't that funny, those sort of things? But have you, have you got a lot of your books will be signed to, to Kev, won't they? Some of them are, yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, I. I Honestly, I I don't buy these books as an investment, so it doesn't really affect me. But I think generally, for a serious serious collector, probably having an inscription is is going to bring the value down a little bit. Could you ever sell your books, Kev? Yeah, Ooh. everything's sellable. Absolutely. Is there yeah. one book you would keep though? No, not for the right price. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. <laughs> I thought for a minute you were, going to, you were going to give us a lovely romantic story about the ex whatever that book would be. but uh, uh, No. So Family Love by Darcy Padilla is probably my favourite one. And, oh, and that's yeah. actually, because yeah. I've got the French first edition, that's actually worth quite a few bob. Yeah. So that that would be the one that I'd be um, uh, least likely to, to part with. To but part with. not if somebody gave me enough money for it. Oh. Quite happily, yeah. In terms of books, um, before we go to another Facebook question, you've got lots of Salgado books. I know I've got a few myself. The Amazonia exhibition is on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this were Peter Foote wrote to us to tell us about this one. It's on until March 20th. So if you're, you're in Londinium, uh, then it's at the Science Museum. I do like the Science Museum. Uh, Southwest 7, Sebastian Salgado. It's called Amazonia. Peter said it might be worth a mention on your show, and it certainly is. And, and uh, I don't know if you know much about the, the exhibition, but it's got a soundtrack in the background, uh, which, uh, which is Jean-Michel Jarre and various other sounds of the forests and stuff. So it's a this real the, immersive experience. This is the second round of that, isn't it? Because I've been to it when Have I was you? there before. Ah, it was at the Natural know. History Museum years ago, a few years back. So it's come um, back round again then? Yeah, ah. yeah. I remember going with Peter Pryor to that. Ah, yeah. okay. Right, que- questions from Facebook. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we've got time for one more from Facebook. Next one. So this is from Steve. Mm. Steve, the moderator. Ah. Uh, question for the show. Is he allowed yeah. to uh, do questions? Because he has a hotline to you. He's a red phone he, next to your he, bed. He is, but there's no need, Steve, in the in the thread for questions for the show to write question for the show. That's <laughs> that's obvious. That's the same for the same reason. You should not start a letter with "I am writing this letter" because oh, that yeah. is obvious. Yes. Uh, however, sorry, Steve. <laughs> um, he goes on to say uh, there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding and urban myths regarding licenses required to video a wedding ceremony in mm. the UK, at least from vicars. What's your understanding of the requirements, if any? It's not required, and if they use the music thing as uh, an excuse. You simply observe the, the fact that it, it is copyright. Some of it is. Um, some of it isn't. That There's a whole grey area. You just observe it by not including the music in the final film or you say, look, I'm not recording during the hymns. The rest of it is fine. And the idea that parts of the Bible, which I have heard used by one vicar, um, are copyright, well, whilst that broadly could be true in terms of some uh, publishing and, and so on and so forth. It, it seems a bit overzealous to me. Don't, don't, don't you think, Kev? Yeah, my understanding has always been about the music. Um, you know, you can't you, you can't record, uh, you know, like music if it's coming from a, if they're playing, I don't know, canon in D major, coming down, D minor, coming down the aisle or something. You're right then, with Packabell because you can get that everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, that's always been my understanding, but I don't know, I don't film, so I don't, I don't really know anything about that. I think there are um, a, a lot of myths like that that are used by people. 
um, aren't there? You know, you can't photograph what it used to be anyway, because it's not the same now, but you can't photograph the re- the register in the UK, this is, because it shows details of other um, other past couples. But that that's nonsense, because you can go into any single register office anywhere and, and demand to see the registers. Yeah, I think there is merit. I think there is some truth in that, though, I have to say, because I did have a very long conversation with the registrar about it at one point. Yeah. Um, and she was saying that, yes, but what, that you would be going to the registry office for a reason, you know, looking for information about something for a particular no, true. Yeah. thing. Yeah. Whereas if that was just on your website and it does have things like uh, mother's maiden name, you see, this is the problem. So a lot of people use mother's maiden name as their um, uh, bank passwords and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So there, there is merit, there is truth in that about the register. I don't, I don't think it was, it's necessarily illegal to photograph it. But that was the reason why a lot of registrars said no. Well, you tried um, t- telling people that you're you're not going to get anything in focus when you're using a I don't know yeah, a fifty six mil from across the way, and really you're focusing on somebody's eyes. Yeah, as they're writing. we know that. But you know, this world we live in, you know, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, it's partly it's ridiculous. You know, the whole thing about taking pictures of strangers and all that kind of stuff. It's exactly the same thing. It's a complete can of worms. Um, but as far as videos and music and all that kind of stuff is concerned, yeah. I mean, the thing is, the, the, the fact of the matter is that if you did film a uh, church service and you did record the music and it was recorded music um, coming out of like an iPod or something, um, they still do iPods. Do they know? still do mini displays, granddad? Uh, anyway, if you then stuck that on YouTube, you would get a copyright strike. So, yeah. you know, you have to, there is some, there's definitely a truth in it. Whether that means that the vicar can charge you for a license uh, you know, and how do you prove that you've got that license? Whatever. Don't know. I really don't know. I've um, always thought the licensing thing is a bag of nonsense. And when I've, whenever I've been in making a photo film and I put a microphone on a uh, on a groom's jacket to record audio, not once, not once has somebody said to me, do you have a license for that? I, I've always thought it's a way of making money out of videographers. Now, I could be wrong here. And we, we do have James, of course, our... Our, our resident churchman that can uh, can probably correct me on that, but I've always thought it's a bag of nonsense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not doing well today. I don't know the answer to any of the questions today. <laughs> I'm like, should I just go on? Well, no, Kev, let me help you because I'm allowed to answer a few now and then. It's a bag of nonsense. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I could be wrong, of course. I probably am. Um, have we got time for another, or should we? Let's let's go to the guest this week. So. Um, how did you? Uh, how, how do you? How do you know our photographer today? Uh, well, he popped up in the Fujicast Facebook group, um, threw up a whole load of pictures, said, "I'm taking these things with uh, GFX," and uh, every, there was a lot of comments on there. Basically, essentially, just went, "Wow!" Oh. So I thought, "Yeah, we'll have a bit of that." What? What a job, though. I mean, the the list of people, and you're going to get to it, of course, in the conversation here, but. But the list of people he's spoken to. What a job, Kev. Yeah. This is the job that you want, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure still. I, I'm not sure about stills and behind the scenes. There's a lot of kind of um, PR shots and everything. Yeah. I, he absolutely does amazingly well and is, you know, it's a good business. But I would be more, in, personally, I'm more interested in the, you know, the behind the scenes, the nitty gritty, the, yeah. you know, catching the actors, having a cheeky cigarette behind the bus, all that kind of stuff. Well, of course, he does plenty of that type of photography too within his work. So to use a famous movie line and rewrite just slightly, answers in an email, please, if you can identify the movie. Here's what happened when Kevin met Darren. 
So Darren is a uh, set photographer, TV stills, films, all of that kind of stuff, I think. Is that how would you describe your style, Darren? Yeah, the, the technical term is a unit stills photographer. And, and how does that uh, manifest itself in terms of, for those of you that haven't seen those pictures yet, and we will obviously direct them to your website and everything in the show notes, how does that manifest itself in terms of what your job is, if you like? It's comprised of three main uh, aspects of the job. So the, the most common one I would say is, is, is unit photography. And what that means is um, they would have a stills photographer embedded with the team that's shooting scenes for whatever TV show or production that's happening. And you're essentially just a fly on the wall. You're kind of beside the cameras or trying to squeeze in any kind of corner of a room you can get to to take photos that'll be used for publicity. Um, so that's the first aspect of the job. Uh, the second one would be uh, a, what they call a gallery photographer, or I think sometimes it's referred to as a special photographer, uh, which is more of a studio shoot. It's kind of dedicated to stills only. You have lighting. Uh, the whole purpose of the shoot is is for stills as opposed to the unit photography, which is your just a small cog in the machine, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so those gallery shoots, those are more studio shoots are usually, um, it's more controlled. Uh, there's more time given to the stills photographer. And those are also used for usually for key art, which is going to be the main poster that's going to be on a billboard or a bus stop or a, you know, a cover of something uh, or a profile photo. And then the last aspect, which is a really interesting one, is uh, props or art department photos. And those are usually you're brought in to do to do a wide variety of, of things. And it's if you see a scene in a, in a TV show, for example, and someone's holding a, a photograph, an old photograph of two people standing there, well, that photograph had to have been taken by a, a union photographer. So a lot of times you'll get called in to do like a day's worth of photos that they're going to be using for various reasons. So if, if a picture is in the background hanging on a wall, that's like a family photo of the family of, of the actors, then that has to be taken by someone like myself. So those are really interesting shoots because they just can just cover a wide, a wide variety of things that you're going to be photographing and lighting styles and lighting setups yeah, I mean that that that's quite interesting automatically because I I often wonder about over here when we're watching things on the BBC sometimes documentaries and things like that they blur out photos or they blur out kind of marketing bits and pieces and stuff like that and I often think about those you know the big the big hitting TV shows and all of those pictures that are on in the backgrounds and everything and do they just say to the cast can you bring in some family photos or something <laughs> but obviously it's it's a little bit more thought through than that yeah, there definitely is and there's a lot of work that goes into those. So, you know, even if you see it for just a blip uh, on the on the camera or on the on the screen, it's it's there's a lot of work that's gone into those photographs, which I'm slowly learning as I navigate in this world. And a lot of money and time and people power have gone into creating those photos. I mean, just the photoshopping alone. I don't do it, thankfully, because I, I wouldn't have the patience for it. But um, I mean, I, I did one recently. Um, I, I don't know if the show The Boys is um, is in the UK there or how popular it is, but it's it's a very popular show here in North America. And they they shoot here in Toronto, and they had me in for some a couple days doing these these types of shoots. And uh, some of the shots we were doing were were inserting some of their superheroes into uh, red carpet scenes from all over the for for tens upon tens of years worth of photos, and mm-hmm. it's just a day long shoot of trying to recreate the lighting, 
shooting with an art director um, over your shoulder, kind of directing the whole thing. And, you, and then they're taking all those photos. They're buying stock photography of, of real red carpet photos of real actors from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then they're Photoshopping in the photos we've done into those red carpet photos to make it seem like those um, those superheroes were there at the time. Wow. And so just, again, the amount of, of time and money that goes into it is, is mind-blowing. Yeah. It sounds... To- is it quite stressful? Uh, as you start to do them and you kind of get a feel for how it works, for me, it's not. I mean, definitely the first time working on something like that, especially with a show as big as The Boys, for example. I mean, I definitely don't sleep very well the night before. You're, you're trying to go through all the scenarios in your head and you're trying to plan, but you can't fully plan because you don't really know what's going to happen. And um, But I will say the, the best part about it is that, as I said, you have an art director or a production designer with you you know, we're usually shooting tethered right off the screen. So they're seeing instant, uh, you're getting instant feedback. So I take a photo, it pops up on the screen and you hear a big, Ooh, yeah, that's great. Or no, we need to change that. Or we need to change that. So that actually makes my job way easier. And uh, the, the, the instant feedback is really something I like a lot because a lot of times for say the unit photography, you'll go and you'll just spend a day on set by yourself. You shoot all day, you come home, you edit, you deliver those photos. And if you miss something or didn't get something, well, you've missed it. and You can't go back and do it. When you were in school, did you, when, when the, the teacher said to everybody, what would you like to be when you grow up? Did you, did you say, I want to be a set photographer or a unit photographer? Or did, you, did your journey to this point in your life take uh, some different turns? Yeah, absolutely not. Did I say that? I mean, I, I definitely have, have had an interest in photography from a pretty young age. Uh, sometime probably, I was actually thinking about it this morning. I was, I think I picked up my first camera right around 10 or 11. And I think it was because I wanted to, I was always interested in art and painting and whatnot, but I never felt I was a good artist or draw, you know, painter, or illustrator. So I photographed so I could take it, I could capture that. And, and that's kind of what I got into. And then um, when I really started getting into it and kind of my late high school days and even into university, I think my goal was to be the next, you know, Annie Leibovitz, shooting celebrity portraits. That was something that I just really, really loved. But the, t- the, the TV work and the production work, I, I truly just fell into it. I was, I was uh, as I've said before, I, I was at a dead-end job, early 20s, and a friend of mine who worked on a TV show called me and said, hey, we need a photographer tonight. Can you come? And that started everything. Uh, I worked on that. It was like a, uh, a talk show where they interviewed celebrity guests, and uh, I was on that. From that day forward, I did that for five seasons, and that just led to tons of work. And then at the time, I don't think there were a ton of photographers doing work in television at the time and you're on a short list and you, your name starts to get passed around within the industry and before you know it this is where I'm at but it says it says on your about page um, you've been shooting uh, <laughs> this is this is like a legendary list of names uh, film and TV music stars including Amy Winehouse Adele Drake Lady Gaga Justin Bieber Taylor Swift John Legend Mariah Carey Usha uh, Demi Lovato Bradley Cooper Michael Bublé Elton John Rod Stewart Lady Singh Will Farrell, Martin Short <laughs> and Patrick Stewart it's like you know it, it's it's almost like a, a dream come true I, I I think that for a lot of people who are listening and I, I know this by reading the thread in the Facebook group you know it is kind of like the dream job for a lot of people but I suppose the way that you're you're spinning it is it is a job you know you, you don't have time to be starstruck I suppose well uh... It doesn't feel like a job a lot of the times. And that's what I love about it. I I will say like, I get to show up to all sorts of every day is different. So I show up one day, I'm in a studio. Other days I'm it's five in the morning and I'm in a farm field, three hours from my home. 
it, it's so varied and you're with working with so many different people in so many different situations that it, it truly doesn't feel like a job. Um, sometimes you get jobs that, you know, you're kind of in the studio every day, you show up at, like, I just finished something for the BBC, actually. And it was one of the most wonderful experiences I had in terms of working with crew members and, and just the experience. And it was very nine to five-ish. And I remember coming in because a lot of times you show up one day every every 10 days you for that they're shooting maybe i'm on set for one day out of those 10 days but this one i was in there sometimes two three times a week and i remember telling people this for the first time in my life it's starting to feel like a job but i still loved it i still love it and um it's not so much um nerves uh, you know coming in to shoot them because because you you're again you're just kind of a fly on the wall in a lot of these situations now sometimes you are in like a studio setup where it's just you and these these celebrities and these actors and it, it, i don't want to say nerve-wracking because they're, I hate to sound cliche, but they are just people too at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're a little more friendly and sometimes they're not. And you, you as a photographer, all of us, all of us who, who shoot uh, people, you, you have to just adapt to your surroundings and kind of work with what's given to you. So you don't have time to be nervous or starstruck or, yeah, you, you kind of have to get the job done. But it, it almost never feels like a job, to be honest. In terms of, uh, you know, you said you mentioned you mentioned that you started with film, and I would imagine not so much the uh, the, the kind of setup stage pictures, but these the, the kind of TV type stuff. Would you have been using a blimp in those days? Um, you know, how yeah, I suppose you need to you need to be using quiet equipment. Yeah, so that was a big uh, that was a big change. Um, so I did shoot film, but pretty quickly we switched over to digital. But when it got time to shoot on sets where you needed to be quiet, I had to invest in a blimp, exactly that. And for those of you who don't know what a blimp is, it's essentially like a big bulky pelican case that goes over your camera that kind of your camera nicely fits inside and you close it up. And at least the blimp I had, you couldn't even see your LCD screen or your, your, your screen on the back. You couldn't access your controls. It was literally a focus button and a trigger button and that's it. So all your settings had to be pre-adjusted and it was, it just never felt comfortable. And I never felt like I was getting my best work through that. And that actually, good segue here, that's what led me to Fuji because I was shooting on Canon's uh, 5Ds typically in 1Ds and 1DXs, all sorts of Canon cameras, which I loved and they were great. And I was using these these, pellet, uh, these blimps and I was looking to upgrade my blimp. I wanted to get something where I did have more access to my controls. And when I started looking into them, the prices of these were, were almost the same as some of these newer uh, mirrorless cameras that were coming out at the time. And, and at the time, it came down to essentially two different brands and it was Fuji or Sony. And I made my decision at that time, this was probably 2000. 14, 2015, I bought the X-T1. That was the first Fuji mirrorless camera I bought. And it was based solely on on price and the lens lineup. So that's kind of what, what started my Fuji path. And for quite a few years, I shot with, when I had to be silent, I would have the Fuji camera on, on one shoulder. And when I had a moment where I didn't have to be quiet, I would pull out my, my 5D and, and shoot some stills with that. And eventually, you know, I upgraded to the X-T2 and the X-H1, and then now I'm shooting on the X-T4 and the X-100V, and I've just gone full full Fuji at this point, and, and I kind of haven't looked back. And, and what about GFX? Have you thought about that at any point? Uh, yeah, well, I, I use it quite frequently. Uh, 
don't know, frequently is maybe a strong word, but I use it every so often. And so if we're doing any of those gallery shoots where there's, uh, we're in studio and they want a lot of resolution, I'll, I'll ask when we're in talks to do these gallery shoots, I'll say, hey, you know, there's these higher resolution cameras out. Uh, they're great for detail and cropping if you want. So, you know, one of the first ones I did during COVID, we were trying to limit the amount of time and how close I was to the actors and whatnot. So I said to them, well, the 100 is a perfect option because we can shoot full length head to toe shots, but you also then have the ability to crop in and get a, a, a crop into like a head and shoulders if you need to. So I kind of sold them on that. It's not an ideal camera for unit work because uh, because I am using electronic shutter. There's a lot of kind of rolling shutter issues and it's just, it, it hasn't got there, hasn't quite got there yet uh, in terms of the sensor readout and rolling shutter issues and banding and things like that. So uh, I'm hoping, but then I don't know if I want to deal with, you know, uh, 100, 100 megapixel photos for, you know, sometimes I'm coming home with, you know, 1500 photos from a day. So uh, I don't know if I want to edit 100 megapixel uh, photos like that. So how is the, in in the industry, your fellow photographers that, that do similar stuff, have they all moved to mirrorless as well? Are there, is there kind of a Sony Fujifilm, Nikon Canon, they're, they're all in the, the, the mirrorless game now. What's the, what's the general take, do you think? Well, from what I can gather, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't have per se a lot of friends in the industry in terms of still photographers. Typically, if if one of them is on set, then that means that I'm not. So I don't get a chance to really talk to these people very much. Um, But we're all kind of a tight little community on Instagram and you you kind of see what everyone's doing and, and whatnot. So, I think what happened was when the shift started to happen, when it, when mirrorless started to pick up ground and I'm not going to say I'm some sort of trailblazer, but I think I, I got on it a little sooner than, than some others did. And um, I think everyone eventually started shooting Fuji when the X-H1 came out. I think that was the camera that a lot of, that I was noticing a lot of people were using mm. and slowly, but surely they've all kind of migrated away from Fuji uh, to Sony. Uh, I, I, probably with their A9 series. I think that really is a, like a unit photographer's tool, uh, if mm. you will, or a great tool for them. But, um, but I just stuck with the Fuji and, and some of them, some of them still use them, not as many. Some people are using Canon as well, but it's, it's pretty mixed. But I, I will say as, you know, I show up on set, it's kind of funny because there'll always be some sort of first AC or cinematographer or director. Somebody always spots my, one of my cameras. And the first thing they'll say is, oh, you're shooting Sony? And they just assume it. Everybody assumes we all shoot Sony. And then when I say, no, it's actually Fuji, they kind of, their eyes widen a little bit and they, it, you can, you can sense the shock on them. And then they want to talk all about it. And they, oh, I love Fuji. And everybody else ha- has their own Fuji cameras. And uh, I mean, I definitely find a lot of these directors and, and director of photography first and cinematographer they actually their little their personal cameras are Fuji cameras and it, it just ends up becoming a conversation piece and then especially when they see the the x100v you know come out because that's one of my newer cameras that I bought this year earlier this year which I've just fallen in love with and uh, when I have that around my shoulder and someone spots it they just people just want to all they want to do is talk about it. Are you using the X100V professionally then on set? Yeah. Um, what happened was I, w- I was for a while there, I was using the X-T2 and the X-H1 simultaneously. And when things got a little slow during the pandemic and I found myself going for walks and, and actually, Kevin, you owe me some money, I'd say, because you guys talk about these X100Vs so much that I went out and bought one and uh, I fell in love with it. And I was just using it really to walk around and take you know photos and whatnot. Um, but then I started bringing it to set with me and using it because it's a lot smaller and lighter of a camera. So it's like, well, if I'm already shooting with that 23 mil focal length anyways on my my other bodies, well, why not lighten my weight and just use the X100 on one shoulder and the X-H1 on the other? And that's what I was doing. 
And that led me to, well, different sensors and getting different color results. I can't quite match them when I'm editing. So that I was like, well, now I got to buy an X XT4. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that led me to the XT4. So now when I show up on set, I typically will use the XT4 as my main camera. And then the X100 kind of as a, a BTS photo a camera. I mean, not solely BTS, but it's just great to quickly pull out. It's very unassuming. And, you know, if you, if you're shooting, say a director, um, directing an actor or uh, talking to a camera person it's it's not um it's not as uh shocking to them so they don't seem to notice it as much and you can get some sneaky little photos with it so that's kind of now my setup of the xt4 and the x100 and then i have my xh1 in my bag if i need it for a second body which you know i had a, I had a little accident a little whoopsie a few months ago on set and i had to my my xt4 kind of exploded after it fell off of a tripod <laughs> and I had to bust out the X-H1 for a few weeks. And it, it to be honest, it felt great. I mean, I, I love, I love the way that camera feels in my hand. How did the pandemic affect your industry, by the way? Uh, so it's interesting. Um, the television work I was doing at the time was kind of scattered and was only making up, I don't know exactly what percentage, but maybe, uh, maybe 40% of my income was, was through television work and the rest of it was portraits and, corporate events mm -hmm. and things like that. And then obviously that stopped. And there was a, like a lot of us, we had quite a few months of just nothing happening. And because of the union here and the safety measures and the, the deal they struck, but they, what they worked out was, was instilling very quick safety measures for all these TV production sets here because the industry in Toronto is just growing, you know, nonstop. It's it, they're building studios all around me. It is it is becoming a huge hub for television production and, and movie production here. So they had to work out some sort of system to make it safe for us to continue working. And so I ended up um, putting a, a cold call out to one of the shows that I noticed was one of the first to come back, and I, I just. I just really, it was literally a cold call. Never met this person before. I saw their name, found their number. I called them. I said, hey, I, you know, I see that you're coming back to shoot and I want to be on your set. And long story short, they said, okay. And they had me on. And um, from that point forward, it just didn't stop. I was working constantly. And that was probably, I want to say around July of 2020. And it just didn't stop. It, it hasn't stopped. It was one, one one production after another after another, sometimes multiple simultaneous productions happening. Mm -hmm. uh, so the pandemic hasn't affected me personally too much, at least not now. I mean, early on a little bit it did, but a lot of colleagues that I have, that I'm friends with who do shoot a lot of events and things like that, they, they've been you know shut right down and, and I, they still haven't fully recovered. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a strange thing for me because it's I've never been busier in my life this past year uh, because of all this production work and it just keeps coming and you know luckily we've been able to work safely and there has been very few if any cases um, on sets and um, yeah it's 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 just been a dream <laughs> kind of uh, thanks to Darren Goldstein who returns next week for part two of his chat with our Kev if you want more Mullins. You'll probably know by now that uh, he picks up his Stetson figuratively every Thursday at 3.30 UK time for his internet radio show as Country Boyo on IncapableStaircase.com. Be sure to join Kev and his Stetson and his love of country music every single Thursday. And then on Friday, I have my own podcast, which is a, a walk and talk one, really. A photo walk where your letters of inspiration drive the show and we taking the sights of wherever we are through our cameras together 
Uh, we also have guests, some of whom will uh, will walk in the future with us. Uh, last week on the show, British portrait photographer Rankin. This week, a different tone. I think it's uh, it's going to be one of those episodes where you think, hang about, Neil, I might be able to do something just like this. Uh, it's been a, a sort of a pipe dream, but here's a photographer who's actually done or doing it. So I talked with uh, Hugo Hueta Marin about this amazing book called Portrait of an Artist, where, well, basically, he emailed those, uh, well, the most incredible women artists that he's, he's uh, been inspired by or admired for his entire life around the world and said, uh-huh. any chance I could uh, interview you for an exhibition and then maybe a book and... Uh, well, people like Yoko Ono, Annie Lennox and Uma Thurman said, well, OK, yes, Hugo. Great, he said. I'm going to bring a Polaroid camera too because that's how I want my photography to work in the book. Fabulous story. You'll love it. And I'll also be chatting with Dave Williams, who bought himself a Mercedes Sprinter, fitted it out as his mobile camper and photography explorer. And as this episode is going out... At real time, he'll be on a ferry right now on his way to start a nine-month adventure. He teaches us how to become a travel writer and photographer under the guise if he can do it, well, etc., etc. That's what's happening on Friday's Photo Walk edition of Photography Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. Right, back to your questions. Kev, go for Facebook. Have you finished editing that that wedding yet? No, I'm up to... uh Drinks for set. Drinks for set. I can never say. Can you say drinks reception? Drinks reception. You're worse than the people that are at the drinks reception. <laughs> I can never say it. Drinks reception. Say have it you, really have quickly. You, have you noticed, by the way, um, since since weddings have uh, started up again, that the drinks reception, a lot more people, a lot more drink at the drinks reception. Um, I've, no, I've noticed a lot more misbehaviour at weddings. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the weddings have been great. Even the Monday ones and everything, you know, they've been, they've been, yeah, a lot of people getting on it. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, go on, say, say drinks reception drinks five re- times. Drinks reception, 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 drink. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but I think, I think you've obviously got something that's drinks going. Drinks reception. Drinks reception. <laughs> you've done drinks, it again. Drinks, <laughs> I can't say it. I literally cannot say it. Drinks reception. Cut it drinks into, reception. No, cut into two parts, Kev. Start with drinks, then add reception on. Drinks reception. I can do that, but then I sound like a, a drone. Drinks what? reception. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Drinks reception. Uh, Are you going to the drinks I can't, I just cannot say it. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to say it anymore. When you have your I'm just mi- going to call it. When you have your little Zooms with people, I hope you never say, well, that's a drinks reception. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm just going to call it cocktails from now on, like the Americans yeah, do. Yeah, the cocktail Even there's never cocktails in the UK ones. That's true, yeah. Very rarely, anyway. Drinks reception. Anyway, where drinks were reception. we? Drinks reception. I with, can't remember. Were Facebook? we doing a question? I was doing yes. a question. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Anybody want to drink the drinks reception? Thank you very much. Uh, right, so Graham Harris says, uh, love them or hate them, you can't get away from drones in the world of uh, photography these days. Yeah. What are your thoughts and experiences on the eye in the sky? <laughs> love them. I actually, I am a big proponent of drones, though I don't fly one. Um, I did get my, um, my proper licence, so this is going back a few years. Uh, and before all that nonsense happened, um, I say nonsense, it was, it was very serious. All that stuff happened around the airports, in particular Gatwick, wasn't it, where they had a real scare for quite a while. It closed the airport down, didn't it, for a number of days on and off. And they never, they still never found out what was going I, on, I, did I they? Don't, I don't think they did, no. So I did, mm. I did my um, due diligence and I, I did my proper course and I took my little exam and, and all that stuff. 
But it cost an absolute arm and a leg to put quite a small drone in the air. And the return on investment, if we want to use a nice corporate expression, I didn't really see it, Kev. In, in the end, reluctantly, I, I let the whole thing lapse and um, I've never really gone back to it. I do own a drone. There's one out in the shed still, but it hasn't flown now for about 18 months. Yeah, I also have a drone and I pay my CAA licence every year to mm. register it, which I think you have to legally. You have to now, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I haven't flown it in the UK for, for a very, very long time. Course, I normally, I take it to Spain and I fling it around the, the Campo yeah. a million miles an hour. I love all that. But yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't really use it here. And I have to say, I do, I do get a little bit annoyed with them at weddings. Depends on on how they're being operated. I've only seen it a couple of times. I have to say, drones at weddings because yeah. obviously not many of the drone operators do have those licenses and insurance. Well, there's a difference in the licenses. Yes, it's, it's worth pointing that license out, though, Kev. The license that you've mm. got allows you to fly it for pleasure. It does yes. not allow you to, to fly it for any form of, of monetary return, does it? No, correct. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to, if you want to fly it next to a, you know, a six million pound stately home, you need to yeah. be fully, fully trained, fully accredited and fully insured. And, 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 and the last insurance, the last insurance I had, Kev, was around about 750 quid. And that's going back a few years. Yeah, exactly. So that's why there's not many of them doing it or not doing it legally. You know, they're probably, you know, that's probably a bad thing to say. Some of them will be, but I'm sure there's some that aren't. Anyway, the <laughs> ones that I remember from a couple of years back, um, drones flying over and everything, oh, it just made, everybody just kept staring up at the sky Yeah. Uh, during the drinks reception. The drinks reception? <laughs> <laughs> they just kept staring up at the sky, which was really annoying, I have to say, because they just kept buzzing over the top. Yeah. Um, but I did do a wedding a couple of weeks back where they had a drone operator and he was very good. So he... He did what he needed to do, and and that was that was it. You know, he didn't. Then they they were doing kind of just regular filming, so yeah. they were fine, and they kept it high, and there wasn't any there wasn't any kind of uh, issues whatsoever. Yeah, that's my only real kind of thing about it. Um, There's a fifty meter rule, isn't there, away from people? You can't be above them. Seems to change all the time. Well, I can't remember oh, I, I, if it's fifty meter still. I don't know, but you should you certainly shouldn't overfly people, and you have to be fifty meters away or some, yeah. something like that. That's the that yeah. was the rule. I'm trying to remember desperately what the training was, but I'm pretty sure that was what the rule was and i see every single time i've seen them being operated at weddings they're never within those safety parameters they're, they are generally i think overflying certainly overflying the the properties that they're at uh, and, and and each time i've asked about licensing well, i've stopped asking now because it sounds like i'm just being a busybody the the answer would invariably be now i just chuck it up in the air use it quickly and shove it away mm. I bought one of the first ones, one of the first DJI oh, the things. Fan, it was like a flipping helicopter. Honestly, yeah, it was yeah. enormous. It came in all these bits. You had to put it together and yeah. everything. Yeah. And it, it <laughs> we haven't got much room in our house. So we had, we got at the end of our bed, you know, our bedroom is a, you know, like a, a box that we keep our pillows in and stuff. And, uh, and it just sat there for months and one day, I never, I never flew it once. One day, Gemma sat up in bed. She said, "Either the helicopter goes, or I go." <laughs> so um, I sold it to John Bakey. Gemma or the helicopter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gemma, Gemma, and John have been very happy ever since. Did he? Did he? Did he fly it? <laughs> no, he never flew it either. I don't know what he did with it in the end. <laughs> it was so huge. And it was noisy, and you didn't didn't even have a camera in those days. You had to stick a, a GoPro right. at the bottom of it. You strapped it to the underneath, didn't you? It was, yeah. it was the GoPro, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Uh, should we have? Uh, should we look at the book? Actually, should we do book of the week? In, uh, because we're we're sort of seven minutes into this seg now. So so book of the week. What have we got, Kev? So the book of the week is uh, Jim Marshall. Show me the picture. Company's a really nice hardback book. Comes in a, a really keen 
book slip. So you've got a little protector for it. Which is is really that the nice. book slip that has the hole in the middle? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a, like a, uh, a, a, a well, it's a lens, isn't it? So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it says on the front, images and stories from a photography legend. Um, and the book is put together by Amelia Davis. And uh, so the blurb is, uh, Jim Marshall created iconic images of rock and roll stars, jazz greats, and civil rights leaders. He had the power to look into the soul of an individual and to capture the mood of an entire generation. Ooh. This Dulux career-spanning volume showcases hundreds of photographs, intimate portraits, heady crowd scenes, and haunting street shots evoking the sights and sounds of the 1960s and 70s. Marked up proof sheets offer insight into Marshall's process, while in-depth essays from his contemporaries tell a compelling story about this larger-than-life man. Nearly a decade after his death, Marshall's legacy is the subject of a documentary feature film, The Gorgeous Collection. This gorgeous collection is a must-have for devoted fans and newcomers alike, a fitting tribute to a true legend. So indeed, there is a film as well that, that kind of um, goes together with this. So there, there was a... Um, there was another book called Show Me the Picture, which was the uh, the story of Jim Marshall. That was an older kind of uh, version of it. The film is also called Show Me the, the Picture, I'm looking now. I think you can get it on Amazon Prime. Whether you can get that in the States on the equivalent, I'm not sure. So in the UK, it's an Amazon Prime thing, not Netflix. Um, show me the picture, Jim Marshall. So the book itself is, um, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's right up my street. You know, we were saying earlier the kind of stuff that you'd love to be doing, Kevin. This is it. So there is basically the who's who of everybody is in here. So I'm just randomly flicking. Um, I flick randomly flicked to page 48. Beautiful, incredible black and white picture of John Coltrane kind of sat there with his uh, with his instrument on his lap, just kind of contemplating probably in between shows or something. And then, and then what, what I really love as well is the, the contact sheets. So, uh, and interestingly, when you look at the contact sheets, you've got quite a lot of um, they're marked up so that, you know, he's doing his selections and or the editor is doing the selections and everything like that. But you will see, you'll, you'll see in the contact sheets images that are overexposed, underexposed, you know, badly um, composed in yeah. terms of the crop, half yeah. of it's missing, stuff like that. So, you know, reality is that, you know, everybody is, is, is normal at the end of the day. But the stories, are, you know, the stories also, there's quite a lot of uh, essays, which are really, I've read a few of them, not all of them, but they're, they're very interesting. But the most important thing for me is the, you know, is the images. So Jim, uh, Jim, Jim wrote the uh, the essays. It wasn't a, a ghostwriter or anything. Some of them are written, or some of his, some of them are his words, but the the essays are by other people. So people oh. like um, Meg Schiffler, Amelia yeah. Davis. So yeah. there's other people writing writing the stories in there. But you know, there's th this picture here on page 120. Joan Bears. I love Joan Bears. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Her when her when she and Bob Dylan were together. Whew, what a life. Um, anyway, yeah. she's talking to Mick Jagger in this picture, and it says uh, back backstage at the. Um, San Francisco Civic Auditorium. It's incredible because you just have these real life insights into, you know, into these, these megastars, you know, when they're backstage, they're just like normal people, you know, and they're, they're just like, you know, he's having a cigarette. She's having a bit of a laugh. Uh, they're probably talking about, you know, somebody else, or they're probably bitching about somebody or they're talking about a new instrument or whatever, you know, they're just talking like normal people talk. And then, you know, you have the, this kind of perception that they, you know, they're just perfect all the time, and, and it's not, no. not true, is it? It's just real life. Um, now, you, you know, and he he's been with literally everybody, Jim Marshall, in terms of his photography. Yeah. Um, you know, this this is a very iconic picture, actually, of uh, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, and it, it says I didn't know where it was, but it's backstage at Winterland, San Francisco, 1968. 
uh, it's Janis Joplin lying on the um, uh, on the tabletop, the what, the makeup table, and Jimi Hendrix with a cine camera filming her, and she's just lying there uh, with uh, having a cigarette, lying down with all of the, those lights, you know. So Jimi Hendrix u- utilizing the lights perfectly, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got his hat on, you know, and he's he's, he's got his, he's got all of his Jimi Hendrix clothes. Yeah, Jerry Garcia on the page opposite, and in this one, which is interesting, uh, you can see Jim Marshall in the background sticking his camera to his eye and. With his one eye closed, one eye open. Yeah, he was a sort of photo- I mean, photographer that was able to. And there, there's a difference between those that that get access to the pit at the front, and those oh yeah. that get access to the the bit at the back that's behind the yeah. band, looking out onto the crowd. And that's where Jim Marshall would be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's 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 exactly the stuff that interests me. The the you know the crowd stuff. The, the sorry, the pit stuff. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, you get some amazing pictures from there. But yeah, it's the stories, isn't it? And and uh, you know, it's 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 like Jim Marshall and Anton Corbine. You know, the the stuff they get because of not so much who they know, but because they're accepted. You know, they're accepted yeah. into these into the circle. You Jim, know, and, Jim Marshall uh, and looked a bit rock and roll himself, didn't he? Really, he did. Yeah, he looked very very <laughs> well. I would say he looked very country. Yeah, um, you're right. There's a lot of that. The um, Almond Brothers, great picture there. Yeah. The Almond Brothers sat on the outside with all of the cases of their tour, and they're just kind of chatting and sitting on the on the on the, on the boxes drum boxes and things amazing great picture because they're all somebody's cracked a joke and they're literally all bursting with laughter um not, and not, yeah so some of the essays are about you know they're, they're kind of like they talk about jim marshall as a as a visual poet yeah so uh it's it's really cool um and not to be confused with the jim marshall or, um who was the the father of loud as they say the the guy who was behind marshall amps but there are two Jim Marshalls in music. Uh, I didn't know his name was Jim as well. Jim, yes, definitely well, not. Him, J- no. James, I think, wasn't it? But Jim, Jim Marshall. There's a lot of people holding the middle finger up to him. So yeah. <laughs> he obviously he obviously had no problems in getting in people's faces. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look at that. Chris Christopherson. Uh, picture of Jim Marshall and Chris Christopherson with their arms around each other. A couple of cameras slung around his neck. There's quite a lot of yeah. stone stuff in there as well, isn't there? Load of stones. This picture of Chris Christopherson. The light, you know, this black and white, the light. Is that uh, the picture where, where he's sitting on the bed with a, the flag yeah, in his mouth and the yeah. light's just illuminating him from one side? The rest of the room falls into falls off into darkness and you've got this really intense picture of a, of a bearded... Uh, yeah. Musician with 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 a fag with a sort of an uh, element of smoke around his that's uh, his face. That's that, the that picture. Oh, yeah. picture. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly it's mostly black and white. There's a few. Yeah. There's a handful of color stuff in there. Some of the Miles Davis stuff is color. Mm. It's just wonderful. And actually, in terms of the book itself, the way that it's designed is very clever as well. So it moves from um, the, you know kind of static images and some text. Yeah. The, the, the orientation of the pages changes. The the way the um, titles are laid out. Um, is interesting. It's just, it's visually designed very well as well, yeah. the book, I should say. Yeah. Really, really cool. Really, really cool. Available where, where, quite quite widely still? Yeah, available everywhere at the moment because yeah. it's to, you know, it's part of this, it's to, it's to go with the film, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll you'll find it everywhere. Show me the picture, Jim Marshall, the pictures of Jim Marshall. We shall link to it, of course, in the, uh, the show notes. We shall. And yeah. it's, it's actually, it's not expensive. No. Um, as far as, for, for a book of this quality, production quality and, Everything. I'm trying to put it back into the slip. I think it's around about thirty pounds. That's not bad at all. Uh, it says on the back, RP forty pounds, but thirty pounds you can get it for. We will link as I as I say in the the show notes today. Um, right back to questions. Craig Wilson, how do fellas? 
I've got a quick question for you. It's a QQ, Kev. I'm still, mm-hmm. I'm still shooting with the X-T2 when I do my landscape photos and the X100V for everything else, but I'm thinking of upgrading the X-T2 as there's one thing that still annoys me. The two-second timer resetting every single time it goes into standby. What I like is uh, when I've put the two-second timer on, I'd like, to, I'd like it to stay on. And I'm wondering, does the X-T3 or 4 timer stay on when, that, when activated, even if I turn the camera on and off again? Love the show. Thank you for your advice. In advance, Craig Wilson. Don't know. <laughs> I was fearing that, Kev. <laughs> I don't know the answer. He's right. It, did, it definitely did that. do that with the X-T2, but yeah. I, I don't use it, so I, I don't know if that's yeah. still the case. I'm struggling to get this book back in the book, in the slip. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you're multitasking today. You are trying to I answer that about a timer, which we don't know. Which well, I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll pop uh, that one. If if you go into the Facebook group, we'll try we'll try and answer that in the Facebook group because somebody with much longer foreheads, as we say, than than, than us, will will know the answer to that. Carl or Andreas will definitely know the answer Absolutely to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I I would like to think it's not the case any longer, but yeah. don't know. Don't know. Right. Well, should, should we have more luck with a, another one of from the Facebook? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's try. Um, we've got more luck. I'm going to look for one that I can answer. <laughs> Oh, how did you lose all of your listeners? Well, <laughs> we stopped answering the questions because yeah. we didn't know. Fraser Young says, uh, why is rugby union so boring compared to rugby league? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and actually, I do know the answer to, to Fraser's question. Well, then. Rugby union is far better than rugby league. And that's why? The end of it. why? No more conversations. No, why? Because that's what I play. Yeah. <laughs> or did play. <laughs> no, I, I but for those that don't um, understand the difference, um, now, which which is the one that has the gents that wear the the um, the long overalls that has that that has the the no not long overalls. long overalls you want about cream green balls no the long coat no they were long coats well i can't remember they were white or brown but in rugby they used to wear the long um shop floor coats didn't they jackets and they used to be the they used to be on the line they used to be running the line oh well yeah maybe back in 1841 no this is only going back into the 70s and the oh, I, no 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 you're on i know what you're on about you're on about the um oxford's and cambridge game uh, the varsity match that happens at Twickenham every November or should happen pandemics aside and you're right the linesmen do wear their house jackets yeah because they're they're from the universities as well no perhaps I'm that's talking, what you're no about. I'm talking about the shop steward coats which has nothing to do with with the varsities at all um, which one of rugby league or rugby which uh, is, you might even be on about American Aussie rules football no I'm not <laughs> talking about the, the English game or the British not the English game the British game oh well then we'll, we'll have to strike this down there's another one that I have no idea what about <laughs> I can't speak on this one I can't answer any of the questions Kev just um, say drinks reception for me drinks reception <laughs> <laughs> okay. but officially the one that Kev plays is the best game that's all you. Yes. That's all you need to know. That's I, all you need to know. <laughs> I think you'll be able to answer this one. Barnabas Hamelick, he says, "Hello, guys. First of all, thanks for the great show. I really appreciate the time, the positive energy, and the heaps of humour you put into your podcast. Even if Kev can't answer the questions, I'm a keen <laughs> listener, and f- I found this podcast just a couple of months ago. Um, there is one question that I want to ask and hear your opinion about. Is the is the evergreen question about travel lenses? And I think you've had a similar question asked before, but." I'm not asking which lens to buy. I'm, I'm rather interested in what you think about a fast and lightweight prime lens being your only travel lens. In one of the previous episodes, there was somebody who travelled with the Fujifilm X100F. Could have been the V. I'm sorry, can't quite remember. But I was wondering if this is doable for me, at least, because uh, travel photography is really a mix of all genres. It's landscape, it's nature, it's hiking, it's trekking, it's walking in nature. 
close-ups of flowers, photos of animals, its street, its food, its architecture, and it's a city. Um, my question is, is, is a 35mm prime lens sufficient to cover all this really? So I'm, I'm assuming that he means the 23, and if we talking in, because if he's talking X100, he's going to be talking 23, isn't he? 35 equivalent. Yeah. Is, is it doable for everything that he wants? I mean, could he could he use it for all those street scenes, the documentary, the nature, the close-ups? Or, or, or do you think really you do need an interchangeable? What do you think, Kev? Uh, no, you can do Yeah, you can do a 23mm. If you've only got one lens, then you'll you'll use it for whatever you need it for. Well, would 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 uh, Jim Marshall have been able to use an X one hundred V of F or X one hundred? Would it would he have been able to use that focal length for that entire book, Kev? Yeah. Looking at the pictures that I'm uh, that I'm yeah. I'm seeing here, yes, he could have, couldn't he? Yeah, he would have been a Leica. Looking at the pictures, they're Leica cameras. I can't see what kind of lenses, but yeah, I would imagine probably he's probably got a Leica. He's probably shooting everything with twenty eight mil. Looking yeah. at these pictures. Feels, Something like that. like that. It's quite. It's got quite a you know, wide scene wherever he goes, isn't he? Yeah, you, that, that's a really good point. You know, point, point, looking at those pictures, they have a, cons- a cohesion about them because of the equipment he's using. And of course, um, if you've got the X100V, Barnabas, then uh, you can do a little bit of zoom on there, can't you? Some electronic zoom. Of which, by the way, Kev, my electronic zoom stopped working. You probably switched it off. Well, I, I thought I went through the menu and switched it back on again because that's to do with the control ring, isn't it? In the menu, isn't it? Yeah. Shooting raw? I am shooting raw, yeah. That's it then. Because I was shooting JPEG most of the time with the X100V, and I recently swapped to raw. Uh, oh, is that the reason you can't use that when you're shooting raw? I think so, yeah. Oh, problem Might be wrong solved. again. But I, no, fairly, no. I, that used to be, that was definitely the case with the X100F, but yeah, I think that's probably the answer. Tick that one Yay! off the list. We, we've got it sorted. But two answers there one for Barnabas, one for me. Say drinks reception. Drinks reception. <laughs> oh, you, you did it. You God, did it. God damn it. <laughs> I'm, buying, I'm buying the Jim Marshall film as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> right, three pound forty nine. Oh, is it? Is that on? And it's in four K uh, on Amazon Prime. On yeah. Amazon Prime. Wow, there we I go. I got my big sixty five inch screen. I'm going to watch that on. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever go home? Weddings can wait. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what you're doing for the rest of today. Yeah. So, um, okay, we have got time for one more, one more answerable question from the Mullins. Um, can you delve into the Facebook group and find one there? Um, th- this is. Um, I mean, we've used a lot of questions over the last couple of weeks. We had one week where we rattled questions off. So please do keep sending them in to uh, uh, to the Facebook group or or indeed to uh, click at fujicast.co.uk. But Kev gets the one in Facebook. He gets the ones and reads the ones in Facebook. Do you uh, do you know what my four-digit Amazon Prime video pin is? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, it's been a very long time since I've given Amazon oh, money for films. Uh, and now it's asking me for a pin. Oh, this- You're going to have to do retouching instead, Kev. Right, yeah. just give me. I want to give you three pound forty nine. Don't make it difficult for me to give you three pound forty nine. <laughs> no, I can't give it to you because I have no idea what the, the thing you're on about. Surely it's just one, two, three, four, isn't it, Kev? It might be. I'm going to try that. Let's see. Uh, no, that didn't work. Thank <laughs> heavens for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it's probably my mother's maiden name. <laughs> Right. Um, Okay, questions. We're running out. Honestly, people, come on back to the Facebook group. Stop giving us some questions. Jamie Gonzalez. uh, Hi, guys. I'm having some issues with photos provided by my daughter's wedding photographer. Uh Uh-oh. Backstory. Photos, JPEG files were delivered three months after the wedding and only after the venue, uh, the venue hired the photographer, threatened legal action. 
she was shooting a Nikon D810 and native glass. So I know the photos should be awesome. She dumped the photos to a folder, but they all have this reddish tone and are speckled. The few black and white photos are crisp. I think she applied a batch edit and sent them out. Question. Using Lightroom and Photoshop, what would be the correct flow to fix smooth color adjust, etc.? Um, and there is a picture. He has put one of the pictures up there. A reason, actually, very nice group shot. But yeah, I mean, it's very red. Looks like they're stood in front of a, a burning lava fire. Right. You can, you could try. If they're JPEGs, then uh, get your white balance tool. Where they're stood, I would suggest white balancing against the um, the wooden. I'm not sure we'll be able to put this photo on the on the on the page. Probably by the way, not, but actually, if no. you're in the Facebook group, you'll be able to see it. Uh, white balance against the um, the wooden uh, planks. I would say that they're stood on and see see what you're doing. The great thing about Lightroom is that you can get your white balance wand up and you know move it around, and you can see the preview. That might give you a little bit of an option if you're using the latest versions of Lightroom, you can get quite detailed with the color tools and you can start pulling back the oranges and the reds. That might uh, might give you a bit more. They, I would, they, I, I would they, white balance, pull back the oranges yeah. and then um, bring the saturation uh, bring the um, saturation down a little bit, yeah. Are they consistently uh, red all the way through? So do, do, one, one, do you think one universal change could get you any closer to the real thing or is it going to have uh, to be an individual one, each one? I would imagine individually, yeah. Ooh. There's only one picture on here, but oh, I don't true. think they're, they're unsavable, put it that way. But yeah, a little bit of work in Lightroom should be should be okay. That's a that's a tricky situation. Did, did he say that the, uh, the wedding venue had hired the photographer? Yeah, which is quite common in a lot of holiday resorts, isn't it? It does ah. look like they're in a, in a kind of... Um, holiday resort somewhere so you know if you go to like hawaii or whatever a lot of the hotels you buy a wedding package and that includes the the photographer and they would hire in the wedding photographer yeah yeah Yeah. well um on that note good luck with uh, with doing that kev you've got a film to watch you've got that wedding to finish editing make sure you don't give it a reddish tinge and put spots all over it (laughs) and you need to practice the word drinks reception drinks reception Damn it. Are you doing it on purpose? No, I'm not. I can't say it. It's ridiculous. Go on, say it three times, Kev. It's to say, I, I can't say rugby leave rubbish. See what happens when I say rugby leave rubbish? Hey, that sounded fine to me. Rugby leave rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Drink, drink reception. Oh, anyway. Um, thank you very much for your questions this week. Uh, do send some more in. It sounds like we need them, Kev. So, um... Yes. So if you want to do it through the um, the Facebook group, how do you go about it, Mr. Mullins? Uh, go to the Futurecast Facebook group and you can just add it to the thread marked uh, questions for the show. And also, don't forget, we haven't had any patron questions for a while. If you are a patron, um, uh, pop your questions in the patron thing, post it, whatever, I'll get an email and then you get bumped to the front. Yes. Um, you can, of course, send it the old-fashioned way. Uh, it's not so old-fashioned, but click at fujicast.co.uk is the, the email address for the show. Thank you to those that are supporting through Patreon. Um, and if you've liked this or any of the week's shows, and if you can, of course, and feel it's relevant, uh, we'd love you to leave a review. Um, we'll be back on Music from Blue Wednesday. We're supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. We'll be back next week for a drinks reception. Um, and we'll see you then. Bye, Kev. Bye. The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.